This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and a welcome. It's Thursday. Time to talk about all things municipal. And as they say, timing is everything. Today marks the denouement of a week-long drama that no one saw coming. Mayor John Tory's exit following a Toronto Star story, which was followed by his admission of an affair with a staffer and his resignation which in turn was followed by a flurry of activity from people who wanted him to stay, as well as a push from the left to try to make changes to his first and last budget as a strong mayor. And we heard from other levels of government. Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christopher Freeland said he had to go. Premier Doug Ford said he should stay. Mayor Tory has been a phenomenal partner. He's been a, a really good mayor for the city of Toronto. And just in my opinion, uh, it's not time to change. Everything's going tickety-boo in Toronto, working well with the federal and provincial government. Well, uh, I think many, many, many people would certainly disagree that Toronto is going tickety-boo. And the big question is, who among the likely long list of candidates would be the best choice? to fix things. And now, it's time to tune into the town. And now I'd like to welcome David Crombie, former mayor of Toronto, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village and former city councillor, and Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor of Blog TO. Hello, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Hello, how are you? I'm okay, and uh, I missed everybody, but David, I especially missed you this week. So, yes. <laughs> so, so, uh, just, uh, tell me, like, what did you make of the whole thing? Well, I, I don't think it's any, I, my, I, I think my take is not much different from most people. It's a personal tragedy for, for John. Uh, and, and, and I've known him for, uh, for many, many, many years. Uh, and, and, and he, I think he did it with a certain class, which I think was impressive. So it's a tragedy for him, uh, and, and he did it well. And secondly, though, it's a new day for the city council and for the, for the city because all elections allow you to deal with the dirty laundry and, the, and bring in the new laundry. You find different ways to do different things. So I think it's a new day for the city. Did you think that he had to resign or he should have toughed it out? Oh, Lordy, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not aware. Of, I'm not aware of all the certain. Circumstances, because I, I, I the, 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 the people to take into consideration are, are the young lady, but certainly his family, four kids, his wife, Barb. Um, and I think we, we don't know what the relationships are there. They're the most important that he had to consider. So my guess is that it was on their, their uh, review of things, their understanding and his appreciation of that, rather than public policies. Uh, uh, and, and, and public in, in, in intentions 
I think that's what carried the day for him. Karen, uh, what about you? What did you make of it? Were you uh, shocked, like the rest yeah, of us? I was a bit surprised. It was a little out of character. But um, he said he was going to resign. So that ends the discussion, from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And do you think that was the right move? I do, because we don't know the whole story. And John didn't want us to know the whole story. And so the only way to make sure that doesn't happen is to either not run again or to resign. Lauren, what about you? Well, I can say I was not entirely surprised only because I had seen him with this woman at a party in December. This woman that he is uh, accused of having the affair with, that he has admitted to having the affair with. And um, I thought that it was his daughter at the time because she is significantly younger. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I had asked, uh, I was like, how do you two know each other? And she said, oh. she said, oh, uh, we used to work together. And I was like, oh, so you're in politics. And she's like, well, I used to work at City Hall and now I work in sports. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Weird for him to have like a young lady friend. But like when I heard that there had been an affair, it kind of clicked. And I was like, oh, that must have been what's going on. And then sure enough, I reversed Google search and I'm like, that was the lady. Um but, but I mean, just it's out of character. To me, it's very out of character for, for Mayor Tory to... What engage. kind of a party? Was this a private party? I mean, <laughs> inquiring minds want to know. It was, a, it was a private club opening on King West, which was also kind of bizarre to see the mayor there. It was um, Isabella's, I think it's called, somewhere on King. And it was just like a media VIP preview. And so I think a lot of people were shocked to even see him there because like, wow, a well, real Well, he goes, he goes to... A lot of things. He does, yeah. But it was just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think it's really, it seems out of character for me that that he would engage with this impropriety to begin with. But, like, I'm not judging and I have no, it's, it's up to him whether or not he steps down, well, which obviously has chosen to, to do. Well, that's, and that is kind of interesting because uh, appearing in public with somebody is a certain level of things. So who knows? Right. And and I I swore, I was like, no, that's got to be his daughter. She's so much younger than him. And my friends were like, no, they don't seem like they're acting like father and daughter. And yeah, oh, no. And I, it caused a lot of stir, obviously. Oh, a little bit. My friends and I kind of just like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But I did not for a second expect that he was having, um, you know, perhaps an affair with with this young woman. But, um, you know, it, it turns out so that he, he was. And when the news broke, I was like, OK, now I get it. So the other thing, uh, uh, David, and I don't remember if we ever really discussed this, is that uh, when he ran again, he didn't disclose that he had asked for these strong mayor powers, and um, you know they—I guess they played out in the budget. Yeah, I think that's right. It, it did become at the opening. We thought it was a, a, clearly an idea by the premier, but it's a, it appears now that it was a, a, a mutual benefit. Uh, so, that they, in a sense, they they came to agreement on it. So he he did participate in that and did not divulge it during the election. That's true. I mean, to me, uh, that bothers me. Should have disclosed yes, it. it, 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 it again, uh, someone was talking about whether things are in or out of character. That would have been out of character for me, for my knowledge of John. Sorry. Yeah. And um, Karen, uh, what about that? I, I mean, I was also surprised amid all the speculation that the budget thing m- might have taken, you know, a month, but it, it was wrapped up in a day. 
did did that surprise you at all? And and uh, again, we were just saying uh, about things that may have been out of character for him. And it's it's asking for these strong mayor powers and not telling us in the middle of an election. Yeah, there was a lot of things that were out of character, really. And um, I was looking at the budget process to see whether or not John used his veto powers to veto any motions that were moved. Because if he had, that would have been, for me, a demonstration that he intended on staying. And he did not. But he didn't. He allowed the budget to pass, and uh, he understood that council is now in control of the budget. And when that happened, then that was really, for me, a display that he was going to step down. Hmm. But what would have, it was his budget. So what would have been in there for him to veto? I mean, it would only, there were very small uh, amendments, I think, uh, Lauren from Shelley Carroll, but there was nothing really there that, like, they weren't taking away some of that police budget. No, there were no major, major amendments. I think they um, decided to allocate more resources towards keeping warming centers open um, later in the year. But any major, any amendment that he hadn't agreed with, like Karen said, he had the power to throw yeah. down a veto, and he didn't. So I yeah. was actually surprised that it was just wrapped up that quickly in one day, albeit a very long day. Um, and that the fact that he decided not to veto anything just shows that he's, yeah, he's, he knows it's his time to step back. Hmm. Uh, David, uh, we were expecting uh, a very long list of candidates, and uh, we, uh, uh, we've we talked to quite a number of them this week. Some of them are being really coy, and I'm assuming that they're trying to see if they can get their ducks in a row. So, uh, first of all, do you think it has to be somebody with experience on council or uh, somebody from the outside? Do you think that would work? Yeah, I don't think in the whole, in the long history of uh, of uh, mayoral elections in 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 in, in, uh, in Toronto that anyone has has ever won from outside council. That may there may be one, but I I don't recall one. Certainly not at any time I can remember. Well, John Tory, there's, there's, there's a good reason for that, and that that is it's just a much more complicated culture at City Hall than people know. And you need to understand it better. People understand that. And voters understand that. So that's why I don't think you'll find anybody coming from the outside, unless it was someone who was there before uh, and, and now serves at some other level. Uh, but I, uh, I think not. I think you're, fine. you're going to find that the, the candidates that are winnable are mostly those who are coming from council. Although I, I gather Gil Penalosa is also running. But generally speaking, I think you'll find the candidates that are going to be viable are going to be able to start from council. Yeah, Gil, I mean, we had Gil on uh, bright and early on Monday, so uh, he is definitely uh, set to go. Uh, and, you know, uh, Karen, I've heard it said that that it isn't even uh, that feasible for somebody from another level of government to jump in, I guess uh, there are people who have been serving as counsel, like Kristen Wong-Tam. I don't even yeah. know if she would have to step down as an MPP to run again. Yeah, well, although, I mean, John Tory did come from outside yeah. of counsel. So he, he kind of broke that tradition. Yeah. And I do yeah. think it's an open playing field, to be honest. And that, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be crowded. Anybody who wins is probably going to win with less than 20%, just because of the timing and uh, the short election span, and it's going to be a messy, complicated, um, confused election. 
expensive. You forgot expensive. <laughs> and expensive. And expensive. Um, Karen, what do you think this does to the right-left dynamics on council? I don't know that we have a right-left dynamic on council anymore. You know, I think we have various, um, you know, there's some, certainly politics and there's some partisan, but really it's more pragmatic. You know, we're seeing a, a broader section of councillors just being pragmatic and trying to respond to the issues of the day and don't fit into the neatly, the neat right-left label. You know, like I look to Brad Bradford. He's not necessarily a right-wing councillor or a left-wing councillor. He's just a pragmatic councillor. Mm. Lauren, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say, uh, knowing Brad and, and I'm a big fan of, of his, I, I would say his politics are a little more perhaps left than right, but I, I do see a lot of kind of, um, more liberal counselors kind of forming not so much of a coalition, but sticking together in terms of, of certain topics that I think might be seen as a little more left leaning. I think the city at large is very divided, like the world at large is very divided between left and right, even if, that's not actually the case. Um, people just want to fall on one side or the other. They want to put their politicians into one box or another. So even if the these councillors are, are more moderate and they're not really far to one side or the other, people are going to label them as such because that's how politics are viewed in Canada right now. Well, I don't know. I, I consider there are a bunch of them uh, that are pretty left and uh, some of them will be running for mayor, though we haven't we haven't heard from Mike Layton, who didn't run again in the last election. Uh, and there's Kristen Wongtam, who's an MPP now, and Josh Matlow. Uh, I would bet he's going to run. I mean, you know who I'm interested in, in seeing? So I agree with David that there needs to be some sort of institutional knowledge of city council yeah. for someone to serve as mayor. But as soon as uh, Tory announced his resignation on Friday, last Friday, um, the word, the name Chloe Brown started trending in Toronto on Twitter. A very young candidate, very fresh, but a lot of millennials really like her, like her views, like her whole vibe. And obviously she doesn't have the experience of, of the counselors, but um, she, she I, was in our there. debate. And um, I have to say, I, I did not get the impression that she was really up on all the complexities. But uh, one of the names that keeps cropping up, David Crombie, somebody I know that you have a lot of respect for, is Anna Bailau. Yes, uh, uh, I, I gather Anna is really thinking hard about, uh, hard about it. There's, there's also one name that I had, had not seen, and maybe I missed the news, but... Um, Talking about whether or not it's ideological or or or, or practice and practicality that rules the day at City Hall. Uh, if, 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 if you look at Joe Cressy, Joe Cressy was a, I think would have been one of the he's a left wing royalty I think to the family. Uh, but uh, during the pandemic and the Board of Health, he was outstanding in his work and 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 talking and lauded the work done by John Tory. So it does remind you that even that they have a background of left or right. There's an enormous practicality for, for astute politicians that, that have practiced at city council. Well, I have a different view of that one. And uh, <laughs> uh, Joe Cressy may have been good on the Board of Health, but in terms of, you know, we're in his old ward, uh, dealing with constituents, not so much. And, um, you know, uh, people we're saying, oh, it's amazing that these wildly divergent uh, ideologically people were getting along so well. And I'm thinking 
all privileged white men. Uh, they have something in common. I don't think you're wrong, but just to lay this debate to rest before it begins, uh, Joe Cressy issued a statement on that the 12th not, saying that yeah. he will not be running um, either way. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, and I do, I do agree, though, that he would probably have a lot of support and a lot of, uh, what's the, in, like, the antithesis of support? A lot of, a lot uh, of haters yeah. as well. A lot of haters. Yeah, but, but he, won't, he won't be running. This, he won't be running. Um, yeah, but it, it's it's going to be a very uh, short and interesting. What about the money aspect, Karen, about raising enough money? First of all, does, do any of you know how much money does it take to run? You know, it, it'll be difficult because of the compressed time frame of the race. It'll be really hard to raise that much money and spend that much money. And um, I think the calculation is, and, and David might know it better than I, is it, so you, you kind of get an allotment for each potential voter in the city. And I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is, but that determines the amount you can spend. But, but, but it also assumes a much longer election cycle. And so it will be very interesting to see how the candidates are able to, you know, craft a strategy, communicate a message, raise money, um, define themselves in a very, it'll be a very crowded field because for many counselors, you know, if, if Anna decides to run, she'll look at it and this is her only chance. Um, you know, if Brad decides to run, then, you know, he's not going to step down because Anna's in. We know Josh Matlow is going to run for all his bobbing and weaving. We know that. And um, there's probably going to be a couple others that come into the race. So within the time frame, and they're all relatively unknown to be candid. Yeah, And um, building that name recognition is going to be extremely difficult. The other thing is, you know, uh, I was talking to Lauren Bozanoff from Forum Research yesterday, and he did that poll that showed uh, people evenly split on whether Tory should stay or go. But what he found really unusual there was that everybody was totally up to speed on the story, which uh, I must say is not usually the case in municipal affairs. So uh, I'm wondering, I'm hoping that the turnout for the next, for this by-election is going to be better, but I'm, I'm wondering if people will be engaged and you talk about millennials and who they might vote for, but uh, you know, my question is, uh, will they vote? (laughs) I mean, I think in a way, this uh, news of this affair breaking might be one of the greatest things to happen to municipal politics in, in terms of engagement in the next election, because like you said, people are very fully aware. It's been everywhere, all over the news. People are scandalized. They're interested in this story. And so they might be following politics in the city a little more closely than they were before, watching to see what happens. And, um, you know, maybe they will actually get out the door and vote this time. I hope so. Okay, well, let's take a couple of calls here. We've got Maria in Toronto. Hi, Maria. Hi, Libby. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a, I'm very upset about the whole thing because it's going to cost us a lot of money that should have been spent differently for better things than, than by election. Uh, and I'm surprised that his advisors uh, led him to run for election knowing it, what was going on in his life. Uh. Well, the question is, did they? I mean, one of the interesting things Well, it Gil was going said, for three years. It's not like it just happened and then he just resigned, uh, left, you know, like uh, uh, finished his relationship in, in January. So that means 
you know, it's, it's, I don't know. <laughs> okay, Maria, thank you. Yeah, um, Gil was saying he's, he's surprised it didn't come out sooner because a lot of people did have to know. Right. I mean, you'd assume that his close advisors would know about it. But, but I don't think it's a, well, you know what? You know, people, if, on the other hand, if it went on for a long time and he didn't get caught, I don't blame him for assuming that he wouldn't. Yeah, people want to see the best sometimes. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's take a call from Daryl in Toronto. Hi, Daryl. Hello. Um, my idea is let's get some fresh blood in here, and uh, why don't we draft Gerard Kennedy for the position? I think he'd make a good mayor. He's got how? How is that fresh, government. though? <laughs> <laughs> Gerard, Gerard was a, a, a provincial minister and federal MP. And federal. Yeah, MP. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, he's done a lot of community work in terms of yeah. food banks and things yeah. like that, and I think he would make a good mayor. Okay, Daryl. Thank you. Maybe he's so listening. Libby, do you think Adam Vaughn will be coming back? Oh, God, I hope not. I know, right? <laughs> I used to work with him. Don't get me started. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think Michael Thompson would put his hat in the ring, but oh my God. if he didn't have that scandal behind him, he would for sure be out in front of this. Well, yeah. And I mean, again, I've, I've, I've pointed this out as, you know, a tale of two very different People I, and of course Michael Thompson is innocent until proven guilty. But uh, both prosecutors and police thought they had enough evidence to charge him with rape and not with a lesser offense. And wow. um, you know he just toughs it out. And every day I see pictures on social media of all kinds of people posing and smiling with him. So there you go. Sexual assault allegations are really hard to prove in court. Notoriously, yeah. it's it's really yeah yeah unfortunate. But that that someone can be accused of these things and and have so much confidence in, in the, from the prosecutors that and still just is out there uh, yeah doing doing the thing. There the, there you go, uh, David. Do you have uh, views on, on Gerard or anyone no, else? I I, I, re- I remember uh, Gerard uh, both when he was a politician with, with the food bank. And he would be delighted to find out that his blood is fresh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how fresh he is. I've, I've talked to him quite a few times uh, on, on no, the show. He was show. a very good politician, and he did an enormous good with, uh, in the food bank world. So I, I, I don't know. But, but I, I, think, I think it's time, quite frankly. I think it, uh, the election will, will uh, amount to a good thing for us if we've got new people offering different thoughts and new thoughts on old problems, because we've got lots and lots of problems. And so they need to be solved, or at least we, I need new attempts, and I think we need some new perspectives. Don't necessarily need new people, but we need some new perspectives, because I think people were settling down to the next uh, three and a half years, uh, where, where the, the, uh, the Premier of Ontario and the Mayor of Toronto were, seeing, were singing from the same handbook, uh, on a number of issues, including them, but, uh, at any rate, I think all of those things are now changing, and we're going to have a change election, and I think that's going to be more participation and more voting. That that would be, uh, I think we would all agree that that's great, David. Uh, you know, I think the last time we talked, I was talking about public spaces and uh, public spaces becoming dangerous for people, or at least a perception, and and you know that tickety boo comment from the premier. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there is a real sense that things are deteriorating here. Uh, you know, what 
kind of solutions would you like to see? Well, let me first of all say the Premier again showed us he's way out of touch in any kind of real way. He's, he's in touch with his pals and his friends. But on the other hand, to the ticket on uh, comment just reminded me how little he knows about how the city is operating or how it ought to operate. Um, so that would, that would be, that, that, that would be my concern. Uh-huh. Uh, Karen, I mean, what would you like to see in terms of that? Well, yeah, we've talked about that a little bit uh, on this radio station yeah. about how we need to begin a dialogue about reclaiming public spaces as uh, spaces that are safe and welcoming and inclusive. And, you know, right now they seem, we seem to have, be accepting the fact that those public spaces have been handed over to vulnerable uh, individuals to house, to um, manage their addictions, to, you know, do things that are um, meeting some needs, but also creating a sense of unsafety for other users of those spaces. And no politician is willing to begin that dialogue, let alone take a stand on it. So out of this opportunity, I would certainly like to see that. Hmm. It was interesting, you know, when I was talking to Councillor Matlow on Monday and bringing that up for the the first, his first responses was, I don't know what you're referring to. What are you talking about? Seriously? Wow. Seriously, yes. I, I write almost every day these days about someone being randomly attacked on the TTC. Just la- yesterday, police uh, reported that someone had been stabbed in the face with a broken mm-hmm. bottle while riding Line 2 subway. <laughs> like, and then a couple of days earlier, it was someone else who was slashed in the face by a machete by some teens at Spadina Station. It's just, um, I-, I was really surprised to hear um, the premier call Toronto, mm-hmm. things in Toronto, tickety-boo, as cute as the term is. It was really <laughs> odd to hear him call that just in spite of not just, you know, ongoing violence, but everything. Our garbage cans are overflowing, man. It's not tickety-boo. Well, yeah. And I remember it was back in the summer that John Tory said he was going to deal with it. But I think that involved a study of the contracts or something. Uh, you know, there's. I would think there would be a quicker way to clean up the garbage from the garbage cans. Well, what would be tickety-boo is if the province provided some funding for the TTC and for the city, because the budget that was passed still has a big budgetary gap. Oh, so yeah, that, that's that the other question. That's a good call. That's that's a good question. So why don't we go around and uh, deal with that before we wrap things up? Uh, one of the arguments for John Tory to stay was that he has a very good track record at getting money out of the senior levels of government. And um, people were kind of drawing a blank. Uh, you know, who else could do that? David, do you have a view? Uh, yes. The way in which you get money from other levels of government is to create a constituency in the city that they have to pay attention to during their own election. You've got federal elections coming up, and therefore the federal government will listen very closely these days to what what the community is saying. So local politicians always need to just go ask the money and say, "I'm I'm a really good person, send the money. They need to create a constituency that the other levels of government have to pay attention to. And and where do we get that when we're so uh, we're clean off a, a provincial election? Well, you you, you create it you create it by going, talking to people about matters that are interest them and are concerned for them, and and creating enough public discussion that that, that voters will pay attention will require the other levels of government pay attention. That's how you get money for housing. 
I mean, in, in the whole history of housing in the city and getting money from feds and the federal government, provincial government, has come from the creation of requirement from coming from public debate, public discussion, public public uh, requirement that the other level of government pay attention. That's when they will pay attention, not just because you're a nice guy showing up for the money. And and Karen, uh, do you see someone who's in place now who would be a good person to uh, lead that kind of an effort? No, I don't. But um, I didn't think Rob Ford was going to get elected mayor either. And he did. <laughs> and, you know, he had such a populist appeal that he halted the provincial transit plan. So it can be done. Or, yeah, I, I'm not going to be able to say it better than the other two panelists. Who, um, yeah, I, I have no idea who might be the one to do that. But I do know that Premier Ford said yesterday that Toronto would be toast if a lefty mayor were elected. So uh, I, in terms of working with the provincial government, at least, I hope that he either changes his mind on that or whoever is elected isn't considered by Ford to be a, a leftist because that might be a little bit more difficult. To yeah, get. but we need that money. Yeah. Before that election, I would think sure. you're not allowed to carry a deficit. I think we we need that money pretty soon. Yeah, I think like Karen said, it would be a lot more tickety boo in the city if the provincial government would provide funds for Toronto to actually address some of these issues. OK, I think that's a good note to wrap things up on. Thank you so much, David Crombie, Karen Stintz and Lauren O'Neill. And Lauren will be sticking with us after the break to talk about tipping. Thanks, everyone. Great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Have you reached the tipping point when it comes to tipping? A new Angus Reid survey finds most of us have. Two-thirds of Canadians report being asked to tip more and to tip more often. Call it tip Inflation. And those prompts to tip come up when you pay with a card. And those are the things that are a key pay point, pain point. And even if you're just picking up a muffin or a bagel and putting it in a bag yourself, you are being asked for extra money. Uh, is it annoying? Do you mind? Do you ever say no? Uh, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. I would assume a lot of people have a lot to say about that. Uh, Lauren, what do you think? I think I might have reached the tipping point myself, but I still continue to tip because I, I, you know, maybe maybe just because of it's the polite thing to do. Um, I think, and what we've seen from a lot of our readers is, is that um, people are being asked and like overtly asked to tip more often than they used to be. I think five years ago, if I had gone into say a local uh, restaurant and just picked up a juice or something or a sandwich to go, um, they wouldn't be turning around the iPad with like, "Do you want to tip fifteen percent, twenty percent, or twenty two percent?" Or and and I'm like, well, I. I, I just picking up something to go, that is becoming more and more common. And it's awkward, right? When you have the cashier right there and like, I'm not trying to say you're doing a bad job, but like, but I? what are you doing? What I mean, you? I mean, and even if you're picking up a sandwich to go, well, somebody prepared that. But if you're picking up a muffin 
they didn't bake it. Right. Or like a Diet Coke or something. Like I it's getting pretty bad at some of the coffee shops in Toronto. Oh, oh yeah. And it it depends and and uh you know, uh giving a good tip doesn't guarantee good service. I mean, you can still take whatever it is home and uh, find problems with it. Right. And and I feel like a 20% tip used to be like you know, great job, outstanding service. Someone went above and beyond in their job and like, you know what? They're getting a big tip. Now it's like, if you tip 15% at some Toronto restaurants, it's like, wow, you're only tipping 15%, you monster. Because we know that a lot of the servers and, and staff aren't being paid a living wage. And But well, it shouldn't should be on, be. yeah, they should be, exactly. It shouldn't necessarily be on the public to support them is what a lot of people are saying. Well, and and some of them come with, little uh explainers that's really so so some say and some of them even i've seen some that start at 18 Mm percent but but it'll say there's one place i go to where it says 15 percent good 18 percent a little better you know 25 percent really good yeah yeah so it's like you know what isn't that up to me right (laughs) it'll be like 15 percent good uh 20 percent wow 25 percent like, wow, great job. Yeah, it's it's wild because I'm not saying that you just did a good or a fair job by giving you 15%. Like, I'm giving you 15% of money on top of what I've paid for this service. And and everything is more expensive. Yeah. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. We've got Ben in Mississauga. Hi, Ben. Hi, uh, good afternoon, lady. Yes, I, uh, I basically, the minimum, minimum would be 15% because that's their uh, livelihood. If they do a better uh, service, then it will be 20 I just want to be uh, on budget. Oh, and what about if you're just picking something up? Yes, that's that's what I'm calling in for. Yeah, one time I um I, I pick up, I order it, and I pick up the subway sandwich, and um, they have a category called artistic uh, something. Artistic uh, it, sandwich artist. Yeah, it's a subway sandwich. Then you oh. you pick it up, and then the, when you're going through your cart. You have a category called artistic something. I can't remember what it is, but it's, it's the appreciation that they put on all their head letters, the letters and tomatoes and all those things. So I find it's a kind of, uh, I'm being cheap, so I didn't, uh, I didn't put any money against the, uh, the artistic. Uh, and the artistic uh, expression. Okay, something Ben. Something like that, yes, yes, something like that, yeah. Okay, Ben, thanks for that. Let's hear from... Harold in Scarborough. Hi, Harold. How are you, little lady? Good night. It's my first time. Oh, wait a minute. Welcome. I listen to your program every, every day, and I really enjoy it. Thank you. I'm glad. Now, I have two topics, John Tory or tips. Which tips. You, We're on tips we now. For? We're on tips now. All right. I, re- I remember when I went to a restaurant and ordered some food. And the, and the girl came with the machine in front of me. She take a long time. I said, can I help you? She finished. She said, are you going to give me a tip? I said, I have no idea. It is my decision if I want to give you a tip. It all depends on your service. It all depends on the customer if they want to give the girl a tip or he or she. That's my point. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty brazen. Like we both, our jaws dropped wow. at the same time. <laughs> yes, Thanks. at the same time too, because... They, they, they work and they have a job to look after the customers, right? That's right. And if you want to give them a tip of 5 10 50 that is your prerogative. 
Yep. Right? Right. Thanks, Harold, for that. Hope you call back again. Okay. Peter in Toronto. Hi, Peter. Is that my turn? Yeah. Peter, is that is that you? Yes. Yes. Peter, yes. Uh, Nibi, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> Please go ahead. I am waiting for this topic to come up for a long time. As a long-time resident, I, I've been living in Toronto since the early 70s. And I remember when I first got here, the service was excellent. You couldn't find any anything to complain. The people were courteous, respectful, helpful, understanding. And you can depend on they providing you the best service you can imagine. But the past 20 years, that has turned exactly the opposite. So that is what my belief. If they provide a good service, yes, they deserve a tip. But if they don't deserve uh, a tip, then we should not feel guilty not tipping them. I don't tip them if they don't do a good ser- service to me. Okay, Peter, thank you for that. It is up to the person. That is uh, the whole point of tipping, right? It's an additional tip on top of what you're paying to reward them for good service, right? Um, I, in theory. I, I, I don't have the nerve not to tip. I might tip very little if it's really bad. Yeah, if it's really bad, I will tip as low as like 10, so usually still 15% because I just feel guilty not. Um, but, but I think that our last caller was, was right in that sometimes service can be really, really bad in Toronto. Like yeah. there's some excellent service I've had and some really bad service, especially since the lockdown times and things yeah. started reopening. I've had some, yeah. And, and I don't really feel keen on tipping them anything above and beyond what is kind of socially acceptable for me. <laughs> which is probably high enough anyway. Marianne in Burlington. Hi, Marianne. Hi. I just have a comment on tipping. Um, people in retail that work really, really hard to help you, they don't expect a tip. And I feel when I'm out, I'm obligated to give a tip in a restaurant. And this doesn't seem right to me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right, people in retail. I know some people get commission in retail. And I was trying to think, where are we not asked for a tip? Not in a grocery store yet, <laughs> though the inflation there is bad enough. And not at a gas station, though I remember one time a guy, like, basically begged me for a tip. So I gave him a tip. The audacity. I just could never imagine doing that. <laughs> Daggy, but it was nice of you to give him a tip, I guess. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, gee, really, if you so much, you know, okay. Hard <laughs> up. Gosh. Well, or whatever. I think he was trying to make point that that particular function, it was a well, long time ago. It was when somebody actually helped you. Um, oh, fill the up people the gas. When was that? I'm dating myself. No, okay. I, I remember it. <laughs> Marianne, thanks for that. Yeah, there are very few places that don't ask for a tip. That's, that's fair. And, and it, I mean, it's you might think about how hard some of the grocery store workers. Oh, yeah. Work. Like, I've had grocery workers assist me greatly. And I'm like, excuse me, where can I find this particular spice? Like, they've done a lot more for me that is a lot more worthy of a tip, in my opinion, than someone at Starbucks. Not that I don't love Starbucks, but just, you know, selling me a bottled water over the counter. right? Like, well, exactly. And they help bag your groceries. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they probably do a better job than you do. So you don't come home with broken eggs. A much better job than I do. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I maybe I'm giving them ideas. Now, but they'll start asking for tips. Uh, but um, yeah. Maybe they should. Maybe they should. 
Okay, we are soon going to move along to our, our next topic. But Lauren, what would you like to leave us with, uh, you know, from your blog TO readers? Uh, is this a pain point? It is a pain point. And I think not particularly tipping in restaurants. I think we're used to that. But the increasing amount of tips we're being asked to give to uh, at takeout places and to delivery drivers. The whole Uber tipping thing, um, when you get an Uber Eats order um, or you take an Uber, like I don't remember ever hearing really taxi drivers that many tips in the past. I don't know oh. if that was something you're oh, supposed yeah, to Oh, yeah, you're supposed to tip a taxi oh, driver. Maybe that's why they always hated me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, oh. but it comes up on Uber and with Uber Eats, like automatically do you want to tip 15, 18, 20? And, and I believe the drivers fully deserve the tips. Like I've always tipped delivery drivers, but people are wondering like what what point does it get to where they're actually just paid a living wage as well um so yeah my i have i have a funny story with with yeah. that and this especially in the pandemic we tip people up because we knew we're they're having right. a hard time and um we don't actually order that much but we ordered some pizza sometimes mm-hmm. and um my husband would usually go to the door and uh, we obviously had a, a driver for a second time and I answered the door and this driver looked really crestfallen that it was me. And he, and he literally said to me, he said, Oh, it's you. The gentleman gave me an excellent tip. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay, I don't worry. I'll give you a good tip too. And I gave him a lot of money. I think I gave him 10 bucks or something. And then he looked like he was getting stiffed. Oh, that's a good strategy. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. The other person who answered the door gave me a great. <laughs> so, anyway, on that note, we wrap things up. I'm sure this is going to come uh, in, out again. Thanks so much, Lauren O'Neill. Thank you. Okay, and when we come back, we'll talk about the auto show, which is on for the first time in a couple of years. When we come back, you're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The Canadian International Auto Show starts tomorrow after a two-year absence. It used to be an annual ritual. It started back in 1974, but it is coming back much smaller with major automakers like Ford, Honda, and BMW taking a pass. In addition, to the usual fancy concept cars. The highlights this year will include a vehicle made out of Lego and a chance to actually drive an electric car. So what do you think? Are you going to check it out? Uh, does it appeal? Is it something that you remember fondly? 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740. 4740. And I'm now joined by Jason Campbell, the general manager of the Canadian International Auto Show. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason. My pleasure, Libby. It's been a busy morning, but uh, happy to be uh, home with you guys. Okay, well, we're happy to have you on. So uh, the auto show is back, but it's it's going to be kind of different. You know, we're we're a full two building show. We've uh, we're, uh, wanted to make sure that the show came back full and comprehensive. And so We've got 27 brands that are here exhibiting and showcasing their product. It's, uh, it's a full building, both the north and south. And I think we've, we've had to reimagine ourselves. Uh, you know, the theme of this year's show is mobility reimagined. And there has been challenges with the auto sector. I mean, the entire world has had major 
issues with product supply. And there are some brands which have had bigger challenges than others. And so the the concept, I had some discussions with some brands earlier in the summer and said, look, I've got two-year waiting list for product. You know, I just can't come and offer some product that I can't deliver for some time. But we've got the vast majority of brands participating. We've got really unique, large, new uh, features in the show. We've got a big EV test drive zone, and uh, that's a 70,000-foot uh, square foot area where people can drive up to 19 vehicles themselves. We've got Camp Jeep coming in with a 20,000 square foot uh, exhibit showcasing the rugged terrain and going up a mechanical mountain indoors in the convention center. And uh, that's a real going to be a big spectacle. Uh- and I so uh, during the pandemic, uh, which is actually not entirely over, there were big shortages of mm. vehicles, yeah. uh, shortages of chips. Now, yeah. um, is that over? Like we've been hearing maybe that's over. It's easier to get a car. The price of used cars is coming down. Um, yeah. What's the situation it's with improving. that? It's improving. It's not over, of course. Every manufacturer still faces uh, production challenges. Um, some are affected more than others, and uh, you know depends on where the products are assembled, and uh, you know in terms of the the demands for the products. And uh, it, overall, the the industry is improving. I think the general industry outlook is for by usually summer or or fall of 2023 to be back closer to normal. But uh, but it has had a big impact on all all manufacturers. And the wait for cars has been difficult for many consumers. And so there has been long wait times. And I think that's what's attracting a lot of people to come down to the show because many of the brands that have customers on, on wait list are having those cars available to see here at the auto show in one place. It's very hard to find the new EV products in dealerships, for example. But, um, but they're here. They're here at the show and you can even drive them. Yet some of the brands are hosting their own exclusive test drive programs for their consumers in the morning times uh, at some days during the show. And so I think that we're going to find uh, it's a very full show. I think we're going to find a, a really interested crowd, and I don't think anybody will, will find anything wanting or missing from the show. In fact, I think it's one of our best shows we've put on in recent years. Well, I, I, I think that uh, that's certainly interesting, the ability to actually drive uh, an electric vehicle. Uh, I'm wondering, though, do you think that uh, the nature of trade shows like this is changing altogether, or do you see this as a temporary thing as the industry recovers? I, I think it's temporary. I mean, I think every business has to evolve, and trade shows, this, this is a consumer show, but it, it, it also has to evolve, all consumer shows do, and we've seen more and more consumer shows becoming far more interactive, and so there's a number of interactive elements of the show. The, the Camp Jeep exhibit is one. It's the first time that Jeep has brought this kind of rugged terrain, outdoor, usually outdoor terrain activity uh, to Canada. And it's uh, it's been a huge hit here so far on Media Day. Uh, the EV test track is one that I think is going to be extremely popular and it's going to be active all, all show long. And we also have a micromobility test track in the North Building where people that want to try out electric bicycles or there's a really unique new um, EV vehicle, which Frank Stronach has developed called the Sarat. A little three-wheeled uh, micro-mobility vehicle that's also available to try. I think all shows are going to need to evolve and become a little bit different. But you know, we also need to put on a show, and we've we've got the Hot Wheels have a big demonstration celebrating our 50th year. Lego is a full-size Lego car; it's a great family experience, and we've added some new features as well. For instance, the first time 
we're doing a, a dedicated display for assisted mobility vehicles, so folks in wheelchairs. There's a six-vehicle uh, display. They're, all vehicles are accessible by, uh, by wheelchair, provided by um, Universal Motion, a big supplier of those products here in Ontario. And uh, that, to me, is something that is, is a personal thing. And my parents, uh, my mother, had to have a leg amputated, so she's in a wheelchair now. Sorry summer. to hear that. And we had to take over one of these vehicles ourselves, and it really brought me... You know, the, re- the realization that the difference that this kind of a vehicle could make in someone's life and uh, the mobility that it provides. And I think it's something that uh, has been very well received by the folks who have been on the show floor today. And uh, if you want to go down and drive an electric vehicle, do you have to make a reservation? How does that work? No, you, you turn up on site and we, we have a sign up zone plug and drive who are the ED experts here in Ontario are registering everybody. You've got to be 21 years of age. Um, to, to drive and have a full valid driver's license. And the children need to be at least eight years if they want to become passengers in the backseat. Uh, we have a professional driver that sits uh, next to you. There's nine different brands that have uh, vehicles available. Some have two or three models that you can try. And um, that that is the biggest single change in the floor space itself. It's really unique. We had a number of ministers down here earlier this morning, test driving the vehicles. And obviously, it's a major focus for governments around the world, but it's also a major focus for global automakers. And uh, we know that that is really the direction of the future. And not many people here have EVs. In Ontario, it's only 5% of the vehicles sold are EVs Mm -hmm. at the moment. But there is huge interest in growing. And in fact, our our EV uh, vehicles, uh, the car of the year and the utility of the year that were just announced this morning were both EVs as well. So that says something, because that's voted on by the Auto Journalists Association of Canada. These are people who do nothing but drive cars for a living and, and report on them. In their minds, these EVs top the bill for both of these categories. So it's a sign of what's, uh, what's coming down the road. Um, as you may know, uh, a lot of our audience is older. So demographically, is there anything that our demographic would be particularly interested in? The last time there was an auto show, the, I mean, safety was the main consideration and people wanted, uh, slightly larger cars to, uh, just ferry around their grandkids. Well, you know, the, the trend in the auto sector is, is, you know, into smaller vehicles, and it, it is. You're right. That is a uh, an area where um, vehicles have moved. You know, CUVs, EUVs have been been the, all the rage. I think that there is a lot of classics displays. People uh, that you know of your listenership are probably going to be appreciating one of our features. We have a celebration with Cobble Beach Classics uh, celebrating 75 years of Porsche, and this is a beautiful 16 vehicle retrospective look back from the earliest Porsches from 1952 right through to today with a mixture of classic racing cars as well as uh, as classic road cars. But I, I think that the the, uh, the assisted mobility vehicle, the classics that we have, the general buzz on the floor that uh, that is there and the ability to find new products that are available in the marketplace today is going to appeal to everybody. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap things up. Jason Campbell, thanks so much. Thank you, Libby. Take care. Okay. That's all the time we have for today. Excuse me. Free for All Friday is coming up tomorrow. Marissa will be here. Jane will be here on Family Day. And I'll be back next Wednesday. And uh, keep calling in. I'm sure there's a lot of people who still want to get through and have their say on the very dramatic events of the week.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.